Oops. Hey, Gail. Hi. Yes. Well, there are three things that will stand the test of time. Uh, there are three things that are eternal, and only three uh, that will survive and be present in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Um, Second thing that will stand the test of time is God's eternal word, Genesis to Revelation. And the other thing that will stand the test of time that are eternal are our men's and women's souls, uh, who we are, our essence. And uh, those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we're going to get an incredible makeover. Isn't that good? First uh, Corinthians 15 kind of describes that makeover. So here's my question. What are you putting your energy, your passion, your effort into that will make an eternal difference? What is it that you're doing with your life right now that has the potential to impact all of eternity? We've been given time, and oh, by the way, we're all given the same amount of time, right? In a day, in a week. So what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your talents, your God-given abilities? Um, and what are you doing with your treasure? And whether you realize it or not, everything you have in your possession, that was a gift by the Lord who gave it to you. So what are you doing with your time, your talent, your treasure that will uh, make a difference? that will impact, not just now, today, but will have an eternal impact. Um, Dylan Burrow said, how you live today has the potential to impact all of eternity. Why is that? Think with me now. We uh, are ordinary people, but if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you have an extraordinary God who gives us grace and power and strength. So he's given us himself to come and take charge of our lives. Why? So that we can actually make an eternal difference in this world we live in. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, I'm not sure we think that way too much. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to smile and nod, right, Henry, and make it through. And, and yet I believe the Lord is saying, no, no, I, I got you here. You only get one life. Make that one and only life I've given you, make it count. Allow it to make a difference in the lives of others. So now think of yourself. What are you doing today? What do you got planned for this week that will actually make a difference long-term, stand the test of time, that will count for eternity? This morning, we're going to look at the life of a man um, and I believe every time he's pictured, we're going to look at four different pictures of him, he's making a difference. He, he's impacting people for eternity. And, and this is the kind of guy we need to study so we can learn from him what was he all about, what was he doing that made his life count, and, and what can we do to follow his lead. So Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. We get our introduction to him He's actually named Joseph, but that's probably not how you know him because he had a nickname, and uh, his nickname was Barnabas. 
Let's stand together. We'll start with verse 33 of Acts chapter 4. We'll read down to verse 37. And uh, this is our first picture of uh, Barnabas. You ready? Let's out loud together declare God's word together. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I believe you've put in the hearts of each and every one of us deep down the desire not just to live, but to live well and live in such a way that our lives make an eternal difference. Um, Lord, help us to start thinking that way. Help us to start behaving and operating in that way. Lord, I believe that the potential is there for each and every one of us here today to make a huge difference that will stand the test of time. Um, Lord, uh, just uh, before we get going in your book now, we just want to pause, and uh, it's been a long week. It's been a little crazy going on for many of us, and Lord, right now we want to invite you to come and do some inventory on where we've been this last week. And Lord, uh, if we've participated in stuff that you call sin, would you make that clear even right now? Where we've uh, had attitudes and motives that were wrong and ugly. Maybe, Lord, we've been looking at stuff that we had no business looking at. Maybe we've been listening to things that we shouldn't have been listening to. Lord, maybe we've participated in some things that you call sin. Would you point that out? And Lord, even as you point it out, we're not just going to lay there in the ditch of sin any longer. We're going to do the U-turn, and we're going to run to the cross. And Lord, as we run to the cross, we're going to call what you're making clear to us right now, what you call it. It's sin. And we're grateful that when we said yes to you by faith, and we believed in the cross and what Jesus did for us at Calvary, you marked your accounts paid in full. <laughs> and Lord, right now we want to draw on that account and apply the shed blood to what you're making clear. We want to be in right relationship with you. Lord, uh, we want the walls and the barriers between us and your son Jesus to come tumbling down right now. All the church gathered at Walloon said, that was weak. Bow your heads one more time. I'm going to give you another run at that because that was poor. And all the church gathered at Walloon Lake said with enthusiasm, yeah. wow, nice job. You may be seated. <laughs> First picture we get of this guy named Joseph, verse 36 tells us a couple things. 
He was a Levitical priest, uh, and he lived on the island of Cyprus, um, off the uh, coast of Lebanon today. Um, he was with the church shortly after the day of Pentecost. Most folks believe he probably was in the upper room there in Acts chapter 2, one of the 120. Um, and I really like verse 36. Would you look at it? it? It says that the apostles had a nickname for Joe, and his nickname is Barnabas. And that's how most of us know him from the Bible. We don't know him as Joseph. He's Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. C can you imagine, Penny, being such an encouraging influence on everybody, such a positive force? There, he's full of support and hope and confidence. He's an inspiration wherever he goes. And after a while, they're just going to say, you know what, we're just going to call you encouragement. Because that's who you are, and that's what you're all about. Um, so, so obviously, um, just his presence and his nickname tell us a lot. But I uh, especially like the first thing right out of the gate. What do we see in Barnabas, thir verse 37? Um, he sees a need. Thousands of people, most of them from out of town now, have come to Jerusalem. They've stayed on to get grounded, to get discipled in their faith. And now many of them have run out of money. Uh, and, and suddenly now there is a need. And I like the fact, verse 37, that Barnabas acts decisively and quickly to take care of a need in the early church. And the first thing he does is he shows us he has a generous heart. He had a spirit of generosity about him. Please understand, land, especially in biblical times, that was your safety net. That was your retirement fund. Um, that was what you were leaning on. Um, that really was your identity. Um, and now we see right off the bat, verse 37, Barnabas takes his safety net and clips it and gives it unto the Lord to take care of his brothers and sisters in need. His inheritance, his priority, his safety net was obviously going to be in God and not in that land any longer. We live today, I'm just going to be blunt, in a pretty selfish, stingy, I'm looking out for me world. Most people today and most of the messages we get, it's hold on tight to your stuff because everybody else is grabbing at it. If, if you don't hold on tight, somebody else is going to grab for your stuff. So make sure you hold on with all you got. And I really like that, that obviously Barnabas had learned to hold his stuff loosely and he was ready to be generous with it. About 20 years ago, I've shared this before, um, there was a conference down in Lansing. And I don't know if you've heard of John Maxwell, one of my favorite uh, teachers and preachers, was going to be there. And what was especially interesting was the title of the conference was How to Have Your Church Be Better Givers. And there was a thousand of us. We, we packed that church in Lansing because, you know, a thousand preachers uh, from all over Michigan, we descend on that church in Lansing. Um, and uh, 
Now the day begins, and he says, now this is the first most important point, and the second and the third most important point. So, man, I got my pen out. I'm ready to go. And he said, here is the number one, the number two, and the number three secret to having a generous church. And here it is. It's having generous pastors. Really, John? <laughs> I drove down from northern Michigan to Lansing and spent the night now to hear that. Um, and then he went on, and he pounded home that point for about two hours. And he talked about some of the most stingy and selfish people he knows are pastors. And he talked about why pastors tend to hold on tight to their stuff. And the more he pounded and the more he talked, the more I realized, you know what, Lord, uh, he's talking to me. He, he's talking to me. And I didn't like the message, and I wasn't really happy about his message, but I knew what he was saying was true, and it was true for me. So I left there saying, okay, Lord, this is a new adventure here. Um, you're going to have to grow me up and teach me to be generous. And that was my prayer as I left the continent. Lord, make me generous. And, and I just want you to know, to be generous isn't just like, oh, I'm going to flip a switch, Henry, and it's going to change. It's, it's like exercising a muscle. You got to do it regularly. You got you to do it daily and slowly as you work that muscle of generosity, it gets stronger and it gets stronger. And, and I'm telling you, it starts with little stuff. And I'll just be blunt here, Cash. For me, the first thing, this, I, hate, I hate to admit this because it's so goofy, but it was like um, whenever we would go to fast food and I'd get my own French fries and, and, and Denise would always say, no, don't get me a fry, I'll have some of yours. And I'm thinking, no, those are my fries. If you want fries, I'll buy you a fry. You eat a few and then I'll get your extras. No, we, we're not in this sharing mode. Um, and I'm telling you, that's, that's so little and so silly, but I'm just telling you, that was like a big deal. And I would actually say, uh, you don't need fries, you can share mine. And that was like really hard, but slowly you got to start working. And here's another thing the Lord talked to me about. Um, you go out to a restaurant. Bob, you can appreciate this. Lori, even more. Um, and I would go, and, you know, I, I would spend as much as we could afford to go, and, and then I would be stingy with the waitress or the waiter. Um, and and, I, and I, always, I always, this is how I justified it. Well, if 10% is good enough for the Lord, it's good enough for the waitress, okay? So, there you go. And, and, and I'm just thinking, now, Lord, you really, I have, to, I have to be more generous than that? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Because this is, this is the things he was saying to me. That's probably the person who needs it more than anybody. The owner of the restaurant, they're usually doing okay. It's the ones who are there helping you out at the table. Slowly but surely, you got to start exercising those muscles. And Lord, help me to be generous with the people that you bring my way who are in need. Lord, help me to be generous with my coworkers and my neighbors, you know, and if they want to borrow the lawnmower. Henry, do you understand what I'm saying? It's my stuff, and you're going to break my stuff, and then what am I going to do? Um, and Lord, and then you move on to, Lord, help me to be generous with your church and in your kingdom. Let me say it again. 
Generosity takes time and effort, and it's a discipline, and it starts slowly. And I'm telling you where it starts. Lord, help me to become a generous person. Help, it, help me. And, and uh, I realized if the Lord couldn't trust me with the little stuff, you know, the, the little stuff that I was told, how on earth could he entrust me with the riches of his kingdom? There's no way. And I'm just telling you, you're not going to impact people around you until you learn to quit holding on. Because I'm just telling you, what you sow is what you reap. And if you're thinking, well, everybody's stingy around me, everybody's selfish around me, are you ready? Then likely that's because that's where you are. What you sow is what you're going to reap. And as you get generous, it's amazing, people around you start picking up on your generosity. And you start impacting them. Are you tracking? So, here, here's my question. If I chose the 10 people who are closest to you, and I said, you have to choose one option or the other, okay? There's nothing in between. 10 people who know you the best. You ready, Alan? And I said, okay, is Alan, is he generous, or would you refer to him as stingy? And, and there's only two choices, okay? Now, now, just think about that. 10 people who know you the best. And if the majority are saying stingy, <laughs> selfish, they ain't sharing no french fry. Here's what I'm telling you. It's time to say, Lord, I want to have an impact. And it starts with generosity, being a generous heart. And then, are you ready? And then the Lord can start entrusting you with the real stuff of life as he can trust you with the stuff he's given you. Okay, Holding it lightly. And right out of the gate, Barnabas, he's like a generous example for us, making an eternal difference for the early church. Picture number two. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Uh, Hannah's going to put it up here on the wall. Um, this is a passage we looked at two weeks ago where the Lord knocks Saul down and gets his attention, remember? And uh, Saul comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Then he has to flee Damascus. Um, and in 923, the reason he had to run is because the Jews couldn't keep up with his eloquence about Jesus. So if you can't beat him, what were they going to do? Verse 23, they're going to kill him. So Saul is lowered over the Damascus wall in a basket, runs for his life, runs back home to Jerusalem, headquarters of where he had run the uh, kill the Christian crusade. Remember, he was the king of that, that crusade. Um, now I want you to look at verse 26. This is where it gets interesting. Um, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Remember, Lord knocked him down. He's a new man, but now he comes back. But they were all what? What's it say? They were all afraid of him, not believing that it was really a disciple. <laughs> well, I can understand. When you had left town, you were still a murderer and a terrorist and the evil persecutor of the church. Um... I'm not sure I'm buying this, okay? Now look at verse 27 and the next appearance of Barnabas, okay? He, this, is, this is him stepping up, verse 27. But Barnabas took Saul and did what? And brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now here's my question. 
how did Barnabas know the story of Saul? How was he able to take what had happened to Saul and explain it to his friends, the disciples, the apostles? And how did that happen? Are you ready? He risked a lot, perhaps even risked his life, and went and had a discussion with Saul. He, he talked to him. He heard his heart. He, he weighed the evidence. And, and as he listened, he said, you know what? This is real. This is real, and this guy's a new follower of Jesus Christ, and the old is gone, and the new has come. And now he says, come on, let, let, let's go talk. And, and you're the real deal, and I'm going to go introduce you to him. Now, if you'll just think with me for a second, go back to chapter 7, um, verses 54 to 60. Um, this guy was leading the charge, verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul's there cheering everybody on as they're killing Stephen. I believe that Barnabas knew Stephen. I think Barnabas was probably well acquainted with Stephen. They were brothers in the same church. They were leaders in the same early church. So Saul had been cheering and leading the charge when his friend, or at least his acquaintance, was stoned to death. And I believe that dozens and dozens of friends, maybe family members, track with me here, were victims of Saul's let's kill the Christians crusade. Um, they'd been, some of them imprisoned, some of them beaten, some of them ripped away from family members, and, and now here's Saul face to face, and now he's a brother in Christ. So you know the first thing that Barnabas is going to have to do? You can write this one down. He, here's, here's how he makes a difference in Saul's life. He forgives him. He lets him off the hook, and he believes his testimony, and he accepts him as a brother in Christ. He's no longer holding what he had been against him. Okay, Saul, um, I, I can remember everything you did to all of my friends, but right now you're a member of my family in Christ, and uh, I'm going to treat you as a brother in Christ. You see, Barnabas became an instrument of peace, and reconciliation. Um, hey guys, you, you got to meet him. I know you're scared of him. I know you want to run from him, but it's true. He's, he's really changed, and, and he really is a new man in Christ. He's legit. Here's how Pastor Larry Osborne says it, and I found it to be true. Most people that the Lord uses a lot have incredible junk in their past. Is that true for you or just me? Okay, I'm going to hold my hand up while I say it. Most people that the Lord chooses to use a lot have a lot of incredible junk in their past. Any of you got incredible junk in your past besides me? I'll hold both hands up because I got a lot of junk. And, and I just want you to know um, the Lord Jesus Christ is still in the business of taking Saul's and turning them into Paul's. Isn't that good? But that means we're going to have to listen, and we're going to have to weigh the evidence, and, and, and then we're going to have to forgive, and we're going to have to accept him as a brother in Christ. So here's my question. Do you have a heart of Barnabas ready to forgive and move on? Or are you more a grudge holder? And I'm not forgetting what you did to me back there. 
And I'm just telling you, if you want to make an eternal difference in the kingdom for eternity, make your life count, you're going to have to learn to forgive. Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to leave it at the cross, and I'm going to move on with your help. And if I remember that event again next week or next month, I'm going to bring it to you again and say, here I am. I picked it back up, Lord, but I'm bringing it to you. And here's, the, here's are you ready to trick? Eventually, you keep bringing it to the Lord after a while, you actually can move on, and it's not there anymore. And that's obviously what Barnabas was able to do with Saul. Okay? Uh, third picture of a man who made a difference, um, and we're going to see that here in Acts chapter 11. So you can turn over, but we're going to shut the lights out on you in just a moment uh, because we're going to start with verse 19, and we're going to read down through verse 30. You can follow along. But actually, we're going to give this another test. Uh, this is the visual Bible. This is the NIV Bible, word for word, done on video. And uh, here we go, Jim. Let's, let's give that a go. Maybe. Hopefully. Verse now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Well, uh, the Jewish Christians had fled Jerusalem. Thank you, Jim. And uh, now they're in Antioch. Look at verse 19. Um, and uh, in case you didn't know, Antioch was not just some little 
Podunk town. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman world at this time. Uh, historians tell us over 500,000 people in Antioch at this time. And the message is spreading, verse 19 says, but only among the Jews. Now look at verse 20, because this is interesting. Uh, but the boys from Cyprus and Cyrene didn't get the memo. And instead of just speaking the gospel to Jews, uh, they start telling Greeks, the Gentiles, about Jesus. And now the new Gentile converts to Christ are falling like lake effect snow in northern Michigan. I mean, they're just falling from heaven. And it says, and, and great number of followers of Christ were uh, coming to Jesus that day. And they were Gentiles. Uh, and they're coming to, to faith in Jesus Christ. And I like verse 19, and they were spreading the word of God. Okay, they, they didn't just go and, and tell them opinion. They went and they spread the word of God. Verse 20 and they preach the good news about the Lord Jesus. Did you get that? Um, they're going into this large pagan metropolitan area, lots of different gods, lots of different forms of worship, so surely they're going to go in and they're going to talk about felt needs and kind of work slowly and then build some bridges, and maybe in a few years they can actually start talking about Jesus. Is that how they did it? No, no, they, they went in and they said, you know what, we're going to have to uh, help them with some warm, fuzzy stuff and give them some psycho self-help stuff, and, and, and then they'll, they'll like that, and then we can kind of bridge our way into Jesus. Is that how they did it? No, they didn't just talk with a big, warm, fuzzy, happy face, and we're going to be all positive and, and all dressed up. Notice, please notice, they came into this pluralistic, pagan city and what did they do? They preached the word of God, and they taught them about Jesus Christ, the Lord. I just want you to know, people are hungry for truth. People are hungry for answers, and we have the answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me? And sometimes we're so ashamed, and we feel like we have to, oh no, I can't talk about Jesus too much. I'm just telling you, He's the only answer, isn't he? he? He's the only thing that will change lives. People are hungry for truth. And I love the fact that everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus Christ, verse 20. Every, they just couldn't help it. You, you got to know, I, I met Jesus Christ. He is the second person of the Trinity, took on human form, sinless life, took my place on the cross, shed his blood for my sin problem, took my place in the tomb, Early on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And everywhere they went, that was their message. They weren't sugarcoating it. They weren't dumbing it down. They, they weren't hiding from the truth. They're just going in there with meat, with truth, with God's word, with Jesus. Verse 21, and a great number of people believed, and it says turned. What does that mean? Repented. They were going this way, running away from Jesus. They heard the truth. What did they do? They turned and they chose to follow Jesus Christ. They, they followed hard and, and turned from their old direction. Now verse 22 is where it gets interesting, okay? Uh, make a difference, Barnabas enters the picture again. And the Jews in Jerusalem, they hear word, listen to me, um, 
there's lots of Gentiles accepting Christ as Savior. Now, over in Cornelius' house, there was just, just you know, a, a house full of friends and family, but now a whole city is responding, and the Jews in Jerusalem said, you know, uh, Barney, you better get down there, and, you know, you go be our man on, on, on the scene, and you find out exactly what's going on. Verse 23, Barnabas arrives in Antioch, sees evidence of God's grace at work. What's he? <laughs> he's excited. He's thrilled. He's filled with joy, and he's filled with gladness. I love that. I'm not sure you Gentiles should be coming followers. No, he's excited. Yeah, this is good stuff. God's at work. And now look at the last part of verse 23. Um, what's the message that Barnabas has for brand new baby Christians? Okay, think with me now. You, you got maybe thousands of brand new Gentile followers of Christ, goo goo gaga, baby stuff, okay? And, and now, what does he say? Barnabas encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What was his message? Remain true to the Lord and remain true with all your heart. That's his message to all these brand new Gentile followers of Jesus Christ. Now, now here's my question. You ready? Why do you suppose that Barnabas, first thing he says, don't quit? Think with me. Why was his first message, remain true, continue on in the faith? Anybody help me out? I didn't get time to study that this, this week. So um, why? Why do you suppose his message is remain true, continue on, keep following? Why? Anybody? Go ahead, Penny. Yeah, hang in there, but why? Why is that his first message? And the answer is, you ready? Life is hard, is it not? And, and, and you're a follower of Christ and you're here today? And, and I think right now we could have testimony time and go till like 7 o'clock tonight, couldn't we? Man, life is hard here, and I'm struggling here, and I've been tempted to quit here, and I'm just telling you, life is hard. And right off the bat, Barnabas is saying, I just want to warn you guys, it's going to be hard, but keep on walking with Jesus. I want you to hang in there. Keep on obeying and following Jesus Christ. Keep on serving and growing and giving and loving. And here's the secret. Are you ready? You've got to commit your life to Jesus, right, Jim? But then when it gets hard, what do you got to do? I've got to recommit. And, Lord, I just want you to know I'm hanging in there with you. And then when it gets really, really hard, what do you say? Lord, I'm recommitting once again. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep walking with you. Because life is hard. If you'll think about it, why do we march couples up here and put them up here on stage and make them say promises to each other? Think about it. Uh, I promise better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health. I promise I'm going to hang in there. Why do we do that? Because marriage is what? Say it. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to maintain a, a, a loving, caring, respecting relationship. It's hard. So, so that's why we put them on the spot. And I'm just telling you, in all of these areas, this message is good for us. We just, Lord, I'm not going to quit on my marriage vows. I'm not going to teach my children to quit. 
Think about it. So many of us, eh, you want to quit? Oh, fine, quit. No, when it gets hard, you hang in there. And that was exactly his message. Remain true. I'm not going to bail on my commitments. I've got commitments to Jesus, to walk with him, to be a man of his book, to be a man of holiness, to give myself fully to the ministry he's given me. You know what? By God's grace, I'm not going to quit. Isn't that a good message? And that was his very first message to the brand new believers there. And then, look at verses 25 and 26. I'm talking fast, I know. Uh, Barnabas realizes he needs help. Oh, man, there's like thousands of them. Um, so he says, you know what? Saul, I think, is ready now. Saul's been growing and learning, and he's in discipling mode for about eight to ten years there in Tarsus. Isn't that amazing? So he's been over there growing, and now Saul is no longer Saul. Now he's Paul, and it says Barnabas leaves Antioch and travels to Tarsus to find Saul. Why did he leave Antioch to find Saul in Tarsus? Why did he have to leave? Are you ready? Because they didn't have good cell phone service in Tarsus, right? Yeah, they, they, they didn't have texting, and there was no email up. So if he was going to find him, he had to travel 100 miles, hunts around, find Saul, who's now Paul the Apostle, and verse 26, for an entire year, for an entire year, they disciple the new Gentile believers in Antioch. Okay? We're going to give you a foundation to stand on. I love what happens here. Brand new Christians, we can't just let them remain Christians. We've got to hang in there and help them to grow. And for an entire year, they join God in work and pour their lives into these brand new Gentile followers. And once again, once again, Barnabas is making an eternal difference in the lives of lots of new followers of Christ in Antioch. Um, just got a few minutes. Last picture, Acts chapter 15. Go. Um, Paul and Barnabas have been out on the road sharing first missionary journey all over the ancient world, establishing churches. Thousands of people accept Christ. God uses them powerfully. And uh, find verse 36 of Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, Barney, let's go back and visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas says, great. I think that's a great idea. But uh, Barnabas also wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Verse 38, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take John Mark. Why? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. We can go back, but you see, very first missionary journey, first stop, things get hard, there's some demonic things going on, and, and obviously John Mark freaked and says, I don't like this, and I, I miss home, and he was homesick, and he wanted to quit, so he bails and heads back home. Verse 39, Barnabas and Paul had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and headed for Cyprus, headed back home, but Paul chose Silas and left. Here's the point I want you to get here. Barnabas steps up and is willing to give John Mark a second chance. Okay? Um, there's obviously a disputable matter here. That's a Romans 14 matter. Um, 
This is when two followers of Jesus Christ see the same situation, and one says, I think we should go this way, and the other one says, no, 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 I think we should go that way. It's not a sin issue. Um, the text says it gets loud and angry and ugly. Now, when we read it, we try to say, oh, they weren't real. No, I want you to know in the Greek, they're shouting at each other. They're mad at each other. They are ugly towards each other, Paul and Barnabas. Um, and they don't ever work together again, the best we know. And, and I'm sure if I was Barnabas, I'd be thinking, uh, Saul, don't you remember your mess-ups? And, and you were all about ugly terrorist stuff, and I gave you a second chance. Now, the rest of the book of Acts is uh, following, in, and we're, the rest of our time, as you go on past Acts 15, they're going to follow Paul and Silas, because Dr. Luke... He's the guy on the boat. He was doing the narrating there. He's with Paul and Silas. But here's what I want to show you. Here's the rest of the story. Um, 2 Timothy, if you have your Bible, go there, and I'll read it to you in just a minute. But 2 Timothy, likely Paul's very last letter um, that he wrote while he was in prison. He was going to die shortly after that. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy, slide down to verse 9. Um, he writes, do your best to come to me quickly, talking to Timothy. For Demas, because he loved this world, deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, sent Titus to Dalmatia. Only Dr. Luke is with me. Notice what he says next. Get Mark, get John Mark, and bring him with you, Tim, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that good? So between the time of Acts 15, he's not coming along. I can't stand that kid. He's a quitter. Now he's saying, you know, this John Mark, he's really helpful to me. I, I could use his help. Bring him to me, please, Tim. Oh, oh, and one more thing I want you to know. Um, anybody remember, what's the second book of the New Testament? The second gospel, it's Matthew and then what? Mark. That's John Mark, y'all. That's John Mark who Barnabas said, yeah, I'll give you another chance. I'll work with... And I don't know what they did, but whatever Barnabas was about in giving him a second chance, it worked. Because now Paul's saying, get him for me. He's helpful. And later God uses him to be his inspirational person there to write out what we call the gospel of Mark. You want to make a long-term difference in people's lives? Come your eyes. You want to make an eternal difference in this world? You're going to have to give people second chances. Because if you'll think about it, and I know this to be true for me, lots of people have given me second chances. And the truth is, lots of folks have given you second chances. And now it's so easy to say, okay, well, well I deserved my second chance. No, you didn't. I didn't. We didn't deserve a second chance. It was grace. And now by grace, we can give other people second chances and come and work with them and help them to be successful. Make a difference. Need to give other people what Jesus has given me. Jesus gives us second chances. So let me quick review as we close. You want to make an eternal difference in the people around you? You need to learn to be generous. Slow, but Lord, make me generous. And start it today and show me in the little stuff 
And Lord, slowly release my hands from that stuff that you've given me. Secondly, we need to learn to forgive and quit holding grudges. And and if that's you today and and you're still ugly at someone, Lord, with your grace, if I'm going to make a difference, i got to let go of that and trust you with it. I'm going to have to learn to help people grow around me, help them get discipled. Are you ready? And Lord, I refuse to quit in those key areas where I've committed to you. And finally, we need to be people who are willing to give second chances to the people around us. Make a difference. Make an eternal impact in this world we live in. You only have one life, right? One and only life we've been given. Lord, by your grace, I want to make a difference for you. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, we pause before you right now, and uh, would you take whatever part of this uh, portrait of Barnabas and apply it to us? Lord, some of us need to learn to be generous. Would you start that process in us? I suspect some of us need to let some people off our hooks and allow the bitterness and the anger to drain. Lord, some of us need to help some people around us get discipled, or maybe we need to get discipled so then we can help others. Lord, I want to pray for brothers or sisters here who are considering quitting some key area of their life. Lord, would you bring them hope and bring them strength? Lord, uh, may they tap into your power today to recommit to you. And finally, Lord, might we become known here in your church as people who are all about second chances. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the example of Barnabas. Thank you, Lord, for uh, how he's touched my life. I pray that he'll touch your church here at Walloon. We love you. We're glad we have your word. We're grateful, Lord, we can gather here and uh, be encouraged in song and encouraged in challenge as we study your book together. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.